Welcome to The Bottle Comic, a weekly book club style podcast talking about a story arc in comics from a literary and progressive point of view. Like most successful comic book clubs, we have three key elements, books, friends, and booze. I'm host number one, Monte. This is host number two, Veronica. And this week we have a very special guest with us that we also have every week, Melissa. Melissa, what would you say to your admiring fans on this wonderful day? It's just that I am here and you're there. So congrats. Words of wisdom. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. That was beautiful. Quarantine Um, has done nothing to my brain. It's it's all functioning normally. Yep. That was so beautiful, in fact, that we think you deserve an award. Oh my God. Is this really happening right now? Yes. An elevation of sorts. We have a third host. (laughs) Holy shit. From this day forward, you will be introduced as... (laughs) (laughs) Really building up the suspense. Host number three. Woo! Guys, this is the best day of my life. I never thought I'd get here. I thought if I just kept my head down, worked really hard... Well, sometimes good things do happen to good people. And well, bad people. Not today. <laughs> so in this podcast, we take an arc in comics and discuss it using my obsession with Marvel Comics, Veronica's literary background, and Melissa's general awesomeness and borderline alcoholism. Uh, so content warning about some of the things that we will be talking about in this episode. There is going to be some discussion of sexual violence and sexual violence against children. We're going to try to keep that towards the end of the episode and we'll bring it up, you know, again, before we start talking about it. So that if you don't want to hear discussion about those things, you can still hear most of what we have to say and then skip that and go to the end. This week, Veronica, you chose the story. Would you like to introduce it to us? I would. I chose Saga for this week, um, which is something I kept hearing about and heard how good it was, so I wanted to read it. Issue 1 of Saga came out in March of 2012. Saga is written by Brian K. Vaughn and illustrated by Fiona Staples. Letters and design were by Phonographics, a company I assume was outsourced to, and it was coordinated by Eric Stevenson. Uh, Saga is an epic space opera fantasy comic depicting husband and wife Alana and Marco, who are from long-warring extraterrestrial races from the opposite sides of the conflict, fleeing authorities from both sides of the war as they struggle to care for their newborn daughter Hazel, born right at the beginning of the series, Um, and she interestingly narrates the whole series apparently as an unseen adult. We read the first volume, issues number one through six, which just gets us into it a little bit. So uh, Hazel is born on a third-party planet called Mm. Cleave in hiding. And right after she's born, they're all three attacked by a landfall coalition force, which is uh, Alana's home government, led by Baron Robot 23 from the Robot Kingdom, who uh, outsourced their military to help landfall. And shortly after they show up to attack them, forces from Marco's government also show up. And both forces die in a shootout, leaving Alana and Marco and their baby mostly unharmed. And then they begin fleeing for the rest of the volume. They decide to head for a location on a map given to them by the man who actually ratted them out, pointing to the mythical rocket ship forest where they hope to find a means to escape the planet of Cleve. Along their journey, they are pursued by 
uh, forces by both sides of the conflict who want to kill the parents and take baby Hazel alive. The narrative, which is the name of Marco's government, hires two freelancers or mercenaries called the Will and the Stock, who have a personal history on top of being terrifying mercenaries. Landfall sends the Prince of the Robot Kingdom, Prince Robot 4, or the 4th, possibly, who is determined to finish his mission fast so he can make it home for the birth of his first child. And then these forces all chase each other across the planet and have various other adventures in the galaxy until this volume ends with the small family and their new ghost babysitter mm-hmm. uh, fleeing, finally making it off the planet. But they're definitely not scot-free and they are definitely still being pursued. And it promises a lot more adventure and interesting hijinks because it is also humorous on top of being very scary and dire. But that's about it for this volume. And as the official first time third host (laughs) of this podcast, I'm going to introduce what we're drinking today. Um, It was a wine that I found. A Kroger. <laughs> Very classy wine merchant called Kroger. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, all right. The wine we are having today is called Ghost Pines. <laughs> because my favorite character is Isabel, and she is a ghost in a forest. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Uh, <okay>. <laughs> <laughs> It is a Cabernet Sauvignon, which is a very dry red wine. So for today, for you guys, I also bought some Big K Diet Lemon Lime Soda. <laughs> and we have, I have mixed the Cabernet with basically a Sprite so that it is sweeter. Yay. Thank you, Melissa. We appreciate that, Melissa. <laughs> you take care of us so well. You do. All right, let's all try it. Isn't that sweet enough? There's more Sprite. It's sweet enough. It's a strange combination. <laughs> okay. Yeah. It's like a very dry grape juice. It is layers of blackberry and dark cherry complement rich roasted vanilla, Asian spice, and a nutty smoke character all surrounded by a firm integrated tannins. Fun fact, tannins are uh, things that are found in red wine. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Very nice. It's like, it's very dense with flavor. Yeah, I almost feel like I would be, I don't know, maybe I wouldn't like it, but I feel like I would be okay with it at least. uh, Without the Sprite? Without the Sprite, yeah. Yeah. Well, feel free to try it without the Sprite. Mm -hmm. I can definitely envision all those fruits because it's, like, once again, it's really thick. It's like drinking shaved ice syrup. (laughs) I like it. I like it. Mm. Thank you very much, Melissa. You're welcome. Applause for another great wine pairing with this comic book. (laughs) All right. So what did you guys think of Saga? Melissa always goes first. (laughs) I will always go first. Okay. So Saga, I was kind of annoyed that you only assigned us issues one through six because (laughs) I really wanted to read more of it. And I didn't. (laughs) She gave a very dirty look to Monte here. I followed the rules, but I honestly probably am going to continue reading this. This was really good. Storytelling. I love the style. I loved how they had different languages as different fonts so that it was kind of easier to tell the difference between like on almost like you can't necessarily write accents mm-hmm. in foreign languages that don't exist or do exist or whatever, you right. know. So it kind of gives you maybe a hint at what their accent would sound like. And my first impression though was 
The future is smutty. <laughs> Very smutty. Such smut. But it was a really compelling story. And I think it's one of my favorites that Ooh. we read. It was tantalizing. Yeah, I really liked a lot of the characters. As I said, Isabel was my favorite character. Mm-hmm. Um, I loved just her concept as a person. And she was also great. She was, she was pretty great. She was very capable and very helpful and pushy. And I loved it. Approval. Yes. <laughs> um, so I also really loved it. I don't know if I've said it on the podcast, but one of my favorite things about a story is the world bend, world building. I always want to say world bending. <laughs> That's the uh, fifth type of bender. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, the world building that goes into it. And I, the thing that I really, really loved about this story, and I'll contrast it with Game of Thrones slash A Song of Ice and Fire, which is another one of my like favorite fantasy kind of stories mm-hmm. um and for the same reason because the world bu- building is so intricate intricate and so you know detailed and you really feel like you understand the way that uh, life works in this world but with this i like stories that reveal their universe kind of organically through the story right like there was no there were no blocks of exposition where they're like, this is the history of this right. and this and this. They I think just... there was like two panels that explained it's this planet and this moon yeah. and everything. Yeah, but all the intricacies of the world and everything get revealed through the story, mm-hmm. which makes you want to read more and it also keeps you from getting bored. Right. And I think you can contrast that. I do like A Song of Ice and Fire, but the thing that I hate the most about it is that there are pages of exposition and I'm just like, please, yes, <laughs> just tell the story. Right. Um, which is one of the things that I think makes the show, at least in the early seasons before the writing fell apart, better than the books in a lot of ways is that it's the same as Saga where the world is kind of revealed through the ex- through the story and through the plot rather than through these blocks of exposition. So I really, really appreciated that about this story. Um, And it made me really, really enjoy it. I would like to point out that there was no standing rule against (laughs) reading ahead. So... It was an unspoken rule, <laughs> and then I spoke it. Monte, you know best practices, and there is no excuse. Um, but I did keep reading it, and I probably will read the entire volume because I did really enjoy it. I would agree that it's probably one of my favorites that we've read so far. With the art, I mean, I really, I really liked the art. I really liked the lettering and everything. I liked that it kind of captured the narrator's voice. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't necessarily say it's the best drawn thing that we've seen so far, but it was really good art. It was really dynamic. Right. It did a similar thing to Lock and Key where it didn't distract you from the story, but it helped to illustrate this really rich universe, which was great. So it was definitely, it uh, tickled my fancy. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I agree with pretty much everything you guys have said. And those are also the reasons I like it. Like, Melissa specified, I really like the style of the art. It's not necessarily the best art we've seen. I mean, there's nothing wrong with it. But just to say, it's not because it's the best art ever made that I like it. It's because it really fit stylistically and it was visually interesting and it was colorful in not just a garish way, but in a very thematic way. And I really liked all the character designs, especially their like various alien racial traits because like Marco's species... 
seems they have a variety of horns and it's always interesting. They're not all just like, he's got like ram's horns kind of. And then mm-hmm. other people have like water buffalo horns. One very scary lady had a giant unicorn horn, Love which it. just like visual character design is telling you a story there. And I really enjoyed it. Whereas Hazel's race have wings and they had all kinds of wings. And it was just really beautiful. And then we have, I guess, the native species of cleave are like monkey people, kind of. They've got like flat noses and big ears. And the guy who sold them out was like totally just a monkey. Those teenagers, uh, it was more subtle. But they really looked like teenagers also. It was violent, but not like super gory violent, like moderately gory, but not excessively or like pornographically violent. And I really liked all the relationships Like, there's strife in them, but it's not the same strife and the same drama you see in a lot of other things. Like, it's being original and doing its own things. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I really loved the world building and universe and the fusion of sci-fi and fantasy. Yes, I do. It did have a lot of the problems that, like, fantasy as a genre has Mm -hmm. as a whole. But I think that those problems weren't as pronounced in this as it is in some other stories. Right. Like the Game of Thrones show, (laughs) specifically. Not the books, the show. I'm pretty sure, though, if there was a TV adaptation of Saga, it would do the same thing that the Game of Thrones show did by making, by, like, focusing on the problematic things and, uh, what's the fucking word? Amplifying them. Right. Making that what the story is about. Yeah. But I did appreciate that the way that it was written, like it did have some of those problems, but not as bad. Right. And we'll talk about them later. So speaking of the universe, what did you guys think of the war and the views of each side towards the other and all that jazz? They were racist. So racist. Quite racist. (laughs) Honestly, I often get really bored, uh, as Monte said. With sometimes when there's too much exposition, but I have such a very low threshold. I read a lot of um, shoot, who's the one? Who's the guy who wrote Ender's Game? Orson Orson Scott, Scott Card. Card. Yeah, so I read a lot of Orson Scott Card when I was in college, and he like his later books are just I. There's some that I didn't finish because they were today. This guy the political this guy did this political thing did not enough not in an interesting way just like in a <laughs> here is like the most tedious like world building of yeah. just boring things that boring people do and uh so i kind of was like you know what maybe world building that involves lots of politics and lots of nuance of uh war strategy and how you know, stuff like that. Like, war strategy is just not something that I find interesting. And so when they started getting into the politics, I was like, ooh, am I going to get bored with this? And I didn't. Yeah, it seems to me sometimes, like, the amount of, like, political exposition that books get into is, like, mostly, like, masturbatory to the writer. I've been reading a lot about how to design a homebrew D&D campaign, and a lot of the stuff is, like, Don't get so obsessed about your world and your pantheon of gods and, like, your political machinations. Like, have that, but the main story is going to be what your players do. And that's true in books as well. The main story is what your characters are doing, not 
the political machinations going on in the background of like little chess moves. That was also another thing that really I didn't enjoy about Dune by Frank Herbert. Yeah, learning a lot about characters that you don't see or meet or care about Mm -hmm. is not great. Right. Some of the best ways I've seen that is like it's not fully present in the story, but then if the series gets big enough, they'll publish like the notes of this place type book. Yeah. Yeah, A Song of Ice and Fire did that. I know they did. Which A Song of Ice and Fire does have a ton of exposition, way too much and more than is necessary, but Martin does do a good job of keeping the story centered on the characters that are in the story right ones i like even though that. there's like literally hundreds of characters yes. <laughs> so that's kind of easy to do i guess <laughs> yes i really like i think diana Wynne jones does a good job of it in her sci-fi ursula k Le Guin and the Discworld series also are good examples of where they stick with the characters for the most part and parse out the exposition where it belongs mm-hmm. you know to progress the story Something that I really like, I thought that the war that was presented in the story, it's actually very realistic to the way that warfare kind of worked in the 17th and 18th centuries in Europe. Like there were a lot of wars in Europe uh, that were really brutal, uh, but they were also usually fairly short. And the wars that lasted, that were in the colonies would last for a much longer time. Mm -hmm. So I thought that was interesting. Yeah. I thought it was good that it was patterned off of I don't I don't think it was patterned off of a specific war, but I did think it was good that it was patterned off of actual like an actual phenomenon that happened in history because there right. were a ton of colonial wars that were fought not in Europe proper but were fought out in the colonies through native allies and proxies and also through like the colonial forces themselves. Right. I also kind of liked how I mean, it's it's interesting when this does happen, but it's also interesting when it doesn't. There wasn't a reason given for why they were at war, except that they're two like, planets that are next to each other, a planet and its moon, and with different races on them. So unless they've achieved a state of peace, they're probably going to be at war just for the reasons of like, you're there, I'm here, Yeah, I hate you. I kind of chuckled out loud when it got to the part where they're like, oh, we can't, it's not sustainable to keep this war. So just gonna move the war, <laughs> we're just gonna take it somewhere else and then fight it over there, kill all the natives there, it's fine. And I'm like, you could have just, yes, you could have just stopped the war. <laughs> yeah. You could have just stopped. Yes. And that is literally what happened between England and France right. in the 18th century. <laughs> yes. They realized that they were slaughtered each other and all of Europe was going to collapse under the weight of their conflict so they exported it to the Americas and Asia. This was another point (laughs) I was reminded of or like really solidified for me recently by watching D&D videos on YouTube. There's this guy Matt Colville and he was talking about how to build your world. He was like if there's peace there should be a reason for peace not really for war because especially in like feudal times wars are going to happen. If there's peace, it's because someone made the peace. And that's part of your story as well. And the peace is not here. There is no peace (laughs) in Saga. No. No one has made it yet. Let's get into the characters then. Um, In this story, actually, I think more so than the characters, you can kind of characterize them by the relationships. Mm -hmm. So let's start with Alana and Marco. And we'll talk about the characters while doing that. I was kind of 
found it very interesting that they were just both foot soldiers for the most part. They weren't like high level important people who are doing this like throwing off the world thing and falling in love. Like they're just your average guys. Well, guy and girl. Didn't didn't they not know each other for very long when she helped him escape? It seems like it. He was in prison and she was his guard. He had tried to uh, not defect, but surrender as a conscientious objector, apparently, <laughs> which we're just told. I pretty much have said all that we know about it. Um, and she was his prison guard and they fell in love yeah. right away. Yeah. The Marco is the, like you said, the conscientious object. Right. And right. he's trying to avoid violence throughout the he's, rest of it. He's trying to be pacifist mm-hmm. uh, and he keeps the sword on a little chain locked to his scabbard that he could yes. break at any time, which is just so cute. Yes. <laughs> I thought it was totally. a good symbol, but also very like, mm. you could just, you could just toss a sword. Like, yeah. if you, and I mean, cause like he said, uh, it, I'm assuming he keeps it because it is, means a lot to him. It's been in the family, right? It, it's not just a sword. It's like his family's. Right. I also, sword, yeah think it might have come into because he made a point at one point that like it's not necessarily an ideological uh objection that he has but a practical one he thinks that if you commit violence it begets more and more violence but he still probably like believes in defending yourself if you need to he just would prefer not to defend himself with violence if possible but yeah so he keeps the sword and doesn't use it until he sacrifices it for his daughter Mm -hmm. which is really great well, um, he takes it out and uses it before that. Well, yeah, uh, yeah but then he That's does... why he breaks it. Right. Yeah. Right. No, he breaks it to get the ship to work. Right? Yeah, to sacrifice it to the the tree rocket ship. It took me way too long to realize that the tree was <laughs> oh, the rocket it's an ship. Tree. <laughs> I was like, is it in the tree? And then it yes. just took me a Probably too long, way too long to be like, oh, the ship, like the tree is going to eject itself from the ground. And right. That was a it. really cute, like, sci-fi fantasy moment because they said rocket ship forest and it's like ostensibly like a legend, possibly. Like Marco doesn't believe in it at first. Um, and I was like, maybe it's like an elephant graveyard type situation where there's a bunch of like old rockets there. Or maybe they literally grow on trees. I assumed it was an elephant yeah. graveyard kind of thing. Right. So then when it was an actual tree, I was like, well. <laughs> well, interesting. Yeah, but this is a universe where like magic is an established thing. So it wasn't like, and this is the difference between taking a hard turn into absurdity and having yeah. a world where like you've seeded that these things are possible, mm-hmm. right? Like this was a universe where magic exists. And so it's. We can suspend disbelief to think that a wooden tree can launch itself into space. Right. Yeah. Like it's also a universe whereas, where um, artificial and organic are combined. Like, right. The lo- line is blurred between them. Right. Yeah, yeah. It was heavily seeded to the point where it was like not even something you really have to work that hard to believe could happen in this universe. Right. Whereas in the princess and the dressmaker. It wasn't very believable when right. they took that hard turn. Right. It had been realistic up to that point. Yeah. So yeah, um, bouncing back to what I said about Marco didn't at first believe, first of all, that the map was accurate because it was taken from the person who ratted them out, but also just because the rocket ships are like legendary. He didn't believe in it, but he went with Alana. And I think that's 
an interesting part of their relationship. They had a very interesting back and forth, very interesting roles in their relationship, and I really liked them. It's so interesting. I just now thought of this. He's the one who can perform magic. Mm -hmm. He's the one who knows spells, (laughs) can cure people, can use it to hurt or attack or fix their problems, and we see him do that. And in really creative ways, and I loved how they revealed how that all worked. But even then, like he, he's like, I don't believe, I don't <laughs> like, I don't understand this ghost woman and how she's able to, like, you know what I mean? Yes. It's almost like he was more conservative, I guess, in his views of what was possible, right? And she was you. a little more like fanciful, even though yeah. I mean, she believes in magic, obviously, because yeah. it's part of the universe. But he's yeah. the magician or whatever they would call it in this universe. Mm-hmm. Didn't really get around to labeling it. Yeah. Um, speaking of that, he mostly the spells that he was doing were like healing spells. And while she was giving birth, he offered to give her a healing spell to manage the pain. And I thought that was really interesting because he was like, remember, we agreed managing pain is not a weakness, which is a real thing that women mm-hmm. go through and experience. There's... um. I forget her name and what sport she does, but there's like this Olympic athlete and she's a YouTuber now with her husband and they did her birth story and she was like really sad that she couldn't do a natural birth with no drugs because she kept saying like, it means I couldn't do it. I was weak and I wasn't strong enough. And that's like a really sad state of our world that women feel shamed to go through the things that they do. Yeah, which is, it did a good job of, establishing their characters mm-hmm. and like you kind of kind of see who they are in in that first scene where she's giving birth although i was confused i was also kind of confused there for a second of what was happening um <laughs> oh i i it, knew that the premise is like it starts with the birth of their kids yeah. and i wasn't so i didn't notice if it was kind i was of just like transition. i actually thought they were having sex at first um <laughs> because i but i was confused as to why and then it and then i yeah that was on me. Yes. Um, but in my defense, the first panel is him with her, his head in her skirt. And then, never mind. Well, I think the first panel is her like, <laughs> like rictus face. And then the second one. Yeah. Asking. Totally... Yeah. No, sorry. That's just. Which was super. He's the cutest husband. He's like, you've never looked more beautiful than at this moment. She's like, God damn it. Oh, yeah. I, I did kind of like that moment where it's like the husband trying to be helpful and supportive and she's like in pain although I guess she also enjoyed it I it, which was another thing a few times it kind of came across to me that she might be like somewhat a sexual masochist or like rough sex <laughs> I don't think so I think she was like he he said you know it's okay to manage pain and she's like no I like it yeah <laughs> leave me alone I was trying I to take it go back and forth through which of those it was and I didn't really <laughs> settle on which one it was yeah I their their how they how they spoke to each other was really realistic how a couple might speak to each other especially a young couple who haven't had their first kid yet like they talk about sex openly a lot and they're like cute in that way where they just banter they'll talk about something serious make a sex joke move on (laughs) (laughs) and i think that tied in also to how they're both young and not very like important people necessarily they're just like a regular couple there's nothing super dramatic about them. Yeah. I thought that they were really good protagonists because you really like sympathize with them mm-hmm. to the point where, because there were some things that they did that were incredibly stupid. Yeah. And I think if it was another kind of character, I would be really annoyed with them. 
but you can definitely tell through the entire story that they're both trying their hardest Mm -hmm. and they're both there for each other and that gives you a lot more space to be okay with them making mistakes right or doing things that are kind of dumb or shitty yeah (laughs) they yeah they just come off as inexperienced kids trying their best um which speaking of it how you say they're always there for each other uh they had one conflict here where when marco had been stabbed with the most terrifying tongue ever, and was partially dying, he <laughs> called out for his former fiance. No, his still fiance. Still fiance. Yeah. Super awkward. Gwendolyn, which the note of why that reminded me is even though she was really mad about that, when he woke up from his healing spell, she immediately went to him and was happy that he was safe. Yeah. As uh, soon and as then he... was annoyed with him. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's how, that to me, I. Like, I really, not to get too deep into it or anything or whatever, or read too much into it, but like, to me, loving someone means no matter how I feel right now, Mm -hmm. like, my commitment to you and my responsibility to you is always going to be the same. And I thought that that was a really great example of that, where it's like, yes, I feel angry and I feel like punching you in the face, but also my obligation to you is such that I'm going to support you right now when you need it. And then later, when I know you're okay, then we can fight about it. You yes. can explain yourself. <laughs> yes. That's also, yeah, I thought, exactly, that was a sign also of trust. It was like, on the surface, she's annoyed and wants to know what's happening, but underneath, her, like, her feelings haven't been shaken. She's like, this my man, I'm worried about him. I'm sure it'll work out, probably, but he's got some splaining to do. Yeah, little bit <laughs> Lucy. of... Lucy! Yes. <laughs> A little bit of a coward there with this cop out. You said a past is in the past, and it's like, come on, bro. Like, that's clearly not what I meant. <laughs> He's not the same at all. Also, you're still engaged. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> He's pretty um, clueless in a lot of ways, which at first I thought he was going to be the more like emotionally literate person. But then he does all these like boy things like, after that, she asks, but I'm still the sexiest woman you've ever slept with, right? And he's like, yeah, you've got those womanly hips. And then goes oh. on to describe hers. She had these, like, slim boyish hips. It's like, you could have left that part out. You don't have to compare. <laughs> oh, what else did he do? He did something else. Yeah, he tried. It didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> there were a few things with the baby that he wasn't great at. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I wish I, I could. Remember. I feel like there were two other instances close to each other where he said just the worst thing he could have said, <laughs> but you felt bad for him. It's like you're so clueless, you little man. Yeah, he was. He tried. I liked Alana. I thought she was. They described her on her record as not competent, <laughs> um, which I guess it just means that she didn't try very hard right. as a soldier. And when we see her fellow friend soldier say oh yeah she just like read romance novels uh, <laughs> like, yes and on hours whoever that agent was from the coalition he said you know she flunked out of state and got drafted which she was drafted instead of enlisted she was kind of a slut not that smart <laughs> was like, just kind of solidified you know she's just an average person she's not like a pantheon of yeah virtue or an activist or yeah. super important or kind she's just like a normal person yeah but she just yeah the way she navigated the world felt very relatable same with marco as well yeah which with the romance novels 
That's another thing that was like a nuanced view of femininity. Like she's tougher than Marco in a lot of ways, but she's not like thrown away all the things about femininity. She's got a pretty dress. She likes romance novels. Although I think there's might be something deeper to that romance novel. There is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but even so, and yeah, I just, I think they're really like, they're not super complex characters, but I think they're multi-dimensional characters. I think it helped that their daughter that was just born mm-hmm. is narrating it as an adult because she's giving like a very kind and loving perspective mm-hmm. on her parents who were young and dumb and made mistakes and you can recognize the mistakes, but they were trying and they were just doing it for her. So ha- having that lens of Yeah, it kind of gives love. you a view from like yourself, like you know your parents at one point were young and they have their own identity outside of being your parents, but it's giving you both perspectives on also, also they're my parents and I accept them the way they are, even though like I know their faults and their criticisms or the criticisms I have of them. Yeah. And that might be the biggest reason, the point of view of the narrator might be the biggest reason that you have so much space to forgive them because it's like their mistakes would impact her the most and Mm -hmm. she has obviously forgiven them for whatever it is that they need to be forgiven for (laughs) so we have no right to hold it against them although one thing uh not only was marco still engaged to him he stole the rings. that was the other thing you remembered it he gave god not only did he steal those rings he gave Alana another woman's rings. Yeah, and while I I understand that it was, it's like almost this kind of deeply romantic in that they can now talk to each other because they mm-hmm. are magically Im- imbued with the ability to make them understand each other's languages because they both speak different languages. Mm-hmm. But what a dick bag! You yeah. steal her par- grandparents, and he was oblivious to it. Yeah. I was like, yeah, okay. It's I, like a mm-mm. family heirloom. Like you stole her family heirloom and then gave it to someone else. That's <laughs> awful. That is awful. <laughs> <laughs> On Hazel's side, and I'm surprised it didn't get blown up. Not Hazel. Like you, I also want to call Alana Hazel because I feel like Hazel just sticks in your memory better. Yeah, it does. Um, the one thing she did that I thought was kind of shitty and I thought Marco was going to be mad at her about was letting Isabel bond their souls together. I feel like that's an extreme thing. Like, she waited to do it until it was the only option, but still, she's allowed a different soul to embody her baby. Yeah. I don't actually fully understand. I don't know if they got to the point where they just, they discussed the rules of what exactly that meant. Right. I don't necessarily know the implications of it. It just, like, letting weird entities into your baby seems like a risky move. Yeah, I will say, so I read... I think the first 20 issues so far and at this at the point where I am in the story there still haven't been any consequences of that right which I, was weird to me because I kept thinking okay like the shoe is going to drop on this yes. but it hasn't yet she did say <laughs> it's that gonna be when, a big shoe <laughs> <laughs> she did say that when they get split apart it's going to hurt but I'm hoping that's not while she's an infant because I know that they Hazel grows up throughout this series we get to see her as older than a baby I think maybe in the narration, she, like, mentioned, like, it almost is implied that who she is while she's narrating the story, it, she's still connected to Isabel, or, like, she was connected to Isabel for a very long time. Yeah. She at least remembers Isabel. 
yeah. So they but she also did call her her first babysitter. So yeah. that to me implied that she's no longer around. Oh, okay. Right. Yeah. And she's a ghost she bonded to her, so presumably that yeah. means she gone. Yeah. The I really liked Isabel. Isabel was my favorite character. She was very cool and had the like her dr- the drawings of her looked so much like a real person aside from missing everything below her torso and having her guts hanging out. Like that t-shirt she was wearing, I've seen that t-shirt. Her floppy hat, I've seen that floppy hat. I've seen that like iron straightened hair on teenagers. Yeah. I really liked the concept of part of the world building was the the planet cleave, mm-hmm. if that's what it's called, that the natives they were all killed and when they're when they die, they come back as spirits to help protect the land, which is all great and then but if they all die, then uh <laughs> right. less great. Uh, because then they're all just stuck there on their planet, which sucks because <laughs> people right. are fighting on the planet and it they can't a, help people living. It was an interesting sci-fi and fantasy way to show like the effects of war. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you didn't just have to go to like a refugee village; you could see cool sci-fi ghosts, or see like a mass grave, mm-hmm. and just for like a second. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, would you like to move on to the will and the stock? Sure. The two mercenaries. Oh. Slash freelancers. So they're hired by um, Marco's government, by the scary unicorn woman. Both of them hired separately and also together to ensure that the job gets carried out. But they have a history, which really upset me because the stock is a terrifying spider woman. <laughs> and the will looks like just a regular human. Wow. Doesn't seem to have any... very racist of you, Monica. I mean, apparently it is. I thought she was like some kind of eldritch <laughs> abomination. I she didn't understand me. how that would even work. Like, how <laughs> how did it happen? I also don't how understand... How How is it possible? I also don't understand how Commander Shepard can fuck Garrus, but I embodied it. So I'll just live with that part. But when, I was disturbed by it for a long time. When they I have no idea what you're talking about. Mass Effect. Oh, okay. <laughs> when, when one of the somebody mentions, I didn't even know that, you know, the, that the, the two species who are uh, Marco and Alana, that they could even breed, let alone right. produce offspring. And I couldn't tell if that was just the embedded racism. Right. Um, or like, are there physical right because his example was that like the moonies have rape camps where they take prisoners of war from the landfallians but that does not sound real like that's just the racism and all the like right the inhuman rumors of that one side applies to the other yeah it reminded me a lot of like 19 i mean not reminded me because i wasn't there (laughs) like 1940s 1950s american south where there were laws against miscegenation and um like there was that same kind of idea where it's like if there is sexual content between white people and black people there has to be like there's violence involved like if a black man is having sex with a white woman then you know that's that in and of itself is a violent act and it seemed like they had the same kind of yeah uh, mindset right it took prince robot a while to be convinced that alana had run off with marco rather than marco had kidnapped her or yeah. forced himself on her right the but yeah i mean back to the will and the stock <laughs> i don't know they found a way you guys yeah they found a way to love each other so. who knows how because she didn't even have arms 
in the place where you have arms. Oh, but she had plenty of arms somewhere so else, many Monte. Arms. God. <laughs> she was so she looked like in like like the manga Inuyasha has demons who are like Oh yeah. Far past demons. She did remind Yeah. There's one of the first demons they fight, yeah, is a topless snake woman who it reminded me a lot of because she's a topless with a big long skirt scary spider woman Mm -hmm. she's like a spider centaur yes kind of with terrifying (laughs) white skin no arms but with shoulders and scary spider eyes yeah i did not care about the relationship i was very disturbed by it the whole time (laughs) <laughs> well, when Will's like, it's because I love you, man. <laughs> and then she dies yes. right after I that. Actually, that kind of sucked. But I was just like, I don't yes. care. But really due care. to that, I came to actually like her by the end. At first, I was terrified of her very existence and thought <laughs> she was an abomination who should be burned. <laughs> um, <laughs> All right. But then he, I still feel that way. <laughs> I still feel that way when I look at her. But when I just read the words, I was like, because he was, they're apparently mercenaries. Mm-hmm. And she slept with someone somehow. While on a mission, and he's upset about it. <laughs> Somehow. Somehow. Some terrifying how. And he's upset about it and being mad at her, even though ostensibly they're like not in a committed relationship and they're both mercenaries. He was being a douchebag. That's actually a very real world uh, situation that would definitely happen. Yeah. That's very relatable. <laughs> uh, having a man hold the woman to a higher standard. Mm-hmm. Um, or like resent her for his own insecurities, mm-hmm. even though... In no way did she betray him. Yeah. Yeah. So then I started to like her more because first she called him to get help because she was being chased by wild boars or whatever. Um, Because originally they were competing. First he called her. Yeah. He called her just to talk. Um, But then she called him and was like, hey, you want to work together? And he said all that crap. She's like, no, I'm on a sex planet. I'll (laughs) call you later. And then he called her back after that to be like, you know, we will partner up. And she was like, you know, I don't even want to deal with you anymore. You've been such a a dickhead. And then she gets uh, murdered. But but yeah, I kind of liked her by that point. Because I was like, yeah, she's a strong woman. Don't need no man. But an abomination. But an abomination. (laughs) She's a strong abomination. She don't need no man. Very good character design. After she'd had a hole blast in her chest and died, she rolled over on her back and curled her legs up like spiders do when you murder them. Okay. Hated it. I actually like spiders, you guys. I always try to release them outside. You are I just don't want them to touch me, and I definitely don't want them to be taller than the tallest man with hands instead of feet (laughs) and a naked woman's torso. (laughs) Lots of guns and knives. I'm just saying they kill mosquitoes, and they're better than the horrible centipedes that live there when there are no spiders. There, did you notice on the sex planet there was a horrible centipede woman? There was. It was terrible. I, the sex I was, planet was terrible in I was disappointed in him for going to the sex planet. I liked him before that. I thought he was like a lone wolf, like lived by his own code, like a Han Solo. What? And he went to a sex planet and didn't what? even bring his cat. What a terrible mercenary. Yeah. Like, you get a, you get a paycheck from an employer <laughs> to do a job, and you're like, yeah, but first. Not even a paycheck, <laughs> just a credit card for expenses. And he's like, my expense is an all-expenses-paid <laughs> sex planet vacation. And also, he's like, like he knows there are other people who are going <laughs> to... Who are also after these people. And he still doesn't care. The only reason he didn't go do his job was because he didn't want to meet the stock. Because it would be awkward. Otherwise, he would have gone and done it. 
Uh, speaking of her terrifying spider legs, <laughs> wasn't it very funny when she revealed them and had just like like a clownish variety of weapons <laughs> in her <laughs> That was my favorite panel. I, <laughs> hey, I did not like her as a character and never developed a like for her as a character, but I did love, I thought it was hilarious and great and also creepy. It was all things wrapped into one. Yes. <laughs> I loved the fact that uh, there were these horrors that were coming for them. And then this horrible spider woman comes. Oh, no, I'm just like a bot- Like, I'm a hitman. Like, yeah, I'm not the horror. <laughs> and then the real horrors are just like some ghost teenagers who don't do anything to them. They just pull pranks on people to yeah. make them scared. Yeah. <laughs> that was great. That, that was, was a, pretty great. A fun switch there. Yes. So I'm assuming from this point forward, the Will, even though he's being a dick, he listened to his girlfriend get murdered over the phone, so he's probably going to be pissed for yeah. a while. I think he's vowed to murder the... Murder Prince Pr- Robot. Prince Robot, which yes. we can get into Prince Robot no, now. No, I want to talk about oh, the Will. Go on, talk about the Will. I don't like, and here's part of the like cliche that I don't like in fantasy stories. So the thing that I didn't like about the Will, I don't like, this is just me... As a consumer of media, I don't like the trope of the character who's like the grizzled mercenary who all of a sudden meets a child and I have so much sympathy for them. And it's like, I murder children all the time, but this is wrong. Like, <laughs> fuck off. Like, that is so... I think I just was, hate it. I think not sufficiently really to get away from it, but I think it was slightly subverted by showing him to be such like, a jerk sad sap who's in love with a scary spider woman. Like, rather than being like a Han Solo or the even more grizzled whatever who finally cared, he's just like, especially the way him and the stock like kind of banter back and forth and use sort of like modern terms, casual terms. Like, I started seeing them as less of these like mythical freelancer character figures and more of just like, I'm just an asshole who does a job and I'm moderately good at it. And I'm an asshole in various ways, but sometimes things strike me as wrong. Well, yeah. I mean, I didn't, I don't dislike it because they're like mythical or elevated or anything. I just feel like the trope to me is annoying Mm -hmm. and like the laziness of it is annoying because I feel like there weren't any other elements of this story that I would call lazy, (laughs) but that I thought was very lazy that character and just in general like the i don't i guess it's hard to explain exactly what my problem is but it's basically i don't like characters that have like these poorly defined moral lines but then at the same time their moral line is like presented as so concrete Mm -hmm. you know like He's not, he doesn't have any morals. (laughs) And like that thing that he, like attaching to that child. I think in this case. You went to a sex planet full of. I know what you're talking about. (laughs) And I agree. But I think it was moderately subverted here in a way that made it a play on the trope, at least to me. Because, because I think that is like somewhat realistic, like. People, as we know, can decide that they're on a side of an issue that doesn't make any goddamn sense, especially if it involves guilt towards themselves. But then 
if they have like a visceral reaction to something, that could put them on the side of an issue you wouldn't necessarily expect. Because you're deluding yourself about what kind of person you are. Rather than him being like held up as like a person with a heart of gold, like a rogue with a heart of gold. I think it was subverted somewhat. Yeah, you know, that's I think that's what my problem with it is. It's because people do that in real life. Mm-hmm. Like they have these things that they attach themselves to and they're like, this is my moral line and that makes me like a decent person. It's like, well, no, it doesn't because your morals are actually very conditional <laughs> and like based on these things that don't actually make like it's not an actual substantial difference right like 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 if you really care about homeless people but you like don't care about starving kids or recycling or these all these bad things but you really care about this one issue yeah it's like the pro-life people it's it's pro-life that's what it is it's Mm -hmm. the pro-life people who like abortion is murder blah 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 and it's this one single issue that i care so much about but all these other terrible things that happen to children all the time, that happen to adults all the time. I don't care about that life. Right. I only care about the life that's in the womb because of this weird, like, moral line that I've drawn don't that's wanna, actually based on nothing. Don't want to wear that, a mask. Don't care about gun safety and gun laws. Yeah, and that, and that bothers me in fiction because, like, you can't... I feel like if if you're going to present that, you should also make it really clear that, like, this is not a legitimate way to be. Mm-hmm. And I feel like stories, like, not stories, because I don't think the whole story did this, but characters like that kind of justify that as a legitimate way to be. Right. Um, Obviously, you probably know better because you read ahead like a dirty, dirty asshole jerk. Mm -hmm. Um, But just based on what we've read and based on the other parts of the story, I sort of expected them to make that what he's going to be confronting over the rest that, like... You're a mer- so you're shaking your head, so it doesn't happen, but mm-hmm. I'm going to still talk about this <laughs> and what I would like to happen is that he would have to confront his lack of moral integrity by realizing like, okay, I have this issue that apparently is too far for me and extrapolate it. Like, yeah, like why, why is it okay for me to do this to an adult but not a child? Right, exactly. Um, and you say that's not what happens, but based on just what we've read. But it should be. It should be. That's what I would expect and want and expect from this writer. But it's not going to be because (laughs) that, like, that's the trope. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's what bothers me about the trope because it doesn't ever go that extra step of being like, okay, so now you have to actually become a good person. Right. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Because, like, caring about, like, obviously not everyone can care about everything, but you have someone who's, has no morals, but then only cares about one thing, but then doesn't apply caring about that one thing to anything else ever. Right. It just feels like and, like he's almost like more le- like more one dimensional than the other characters. Right. And one of the reasons I expect more from him or expected is back to Marco. Like mm-hmm. Marco has specified, I have this ideal. And even specified, it's not necessarily an ideological ideal, it's a practical ideal. But I still have the weapon to protect myself, and it's nuanced, right? Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I love, and that's why I, like I said before, I don't, I'm hesitating to actually criticize the story for it because I, like, Marco was, is a good counterexample of someone who is, like, 
being like, okay, I have this thing that I have this visceral reaction to, which is violence. And how can I like expand that to right. into the other aspects of my I life? So I don't necessarily want to say it's a bad thing about the story. It's just like we were talking about the character. That's what I don't like about the character. Right. Yeah. I like having a lot of morally gray people like with Marco and Alana right. and Isabel. Like you've got, you're morally gray. These people aren't perfect. They've got ideals, but they've also got self-interest and yeah. the goals they want to accomplish. And which things that they miss. Because, yeah. like, obviously, you're not perfect and you don't have to care about everything at once. But right. when um, you have someone who's so black and white. Right. Especially since we have three sides of an at least three-sided conflict and then mm-hmm. a fourth side with Isabel thrown in. Like the, what's the word for, like, when Superman destroys a thousand buildings. Fun. A Tuesday night. Like, side effects consequences the ramifications like things that happen to bystand for collateral damage, damage. collateral damage <laughs> the collateral damage of a war is another side on top of everything else yeah and god i really like the story it's because really story. you don't usually have that represented yes but um speaking of the three sides though let's get to prince robot before <laughs> prince robot four before prince we robot four. did you guys i had a question about is him showing something on his TV screen, like, embarrassing on I, his face? I think it might be, like, he's not able to control his emotions in that moment. So he's showing what he's thinking of. So, like, when he was having sex with his wife, which I find these robots, like, their concept to be fascinating. They're organic and they're machines and they reproduce sexually, but they're also robots. Also, their names are... King robot, queen robot, prince and princess robot. You know, if a robot had to name itself, <laughs> I'm king robot. It's great. That is a great concept for a society in a sci-fi space opera epic. Yes. Um, but so they're having sex. He's just gotten back from a tour of duty in which uh, he's like the sole survivor. Like he survived a very uh, distressing campaign or uh, engagement. And I was interpreting that as, like, a PTSD flashback in the middle of sex that made him have, like, erectile dysfunction. Because you see it's, like, it's like a bloody horn or tooth or something. So I'm assuming it's, like, something he saw on the battlefield flashed into his mind while he was having sex and he couldn't. So it's it can be embarrassing, I think, in the fact that it's revealing what you're thinking of. Right. Like, most of the time, they don't have anything showing on the screen. They can use it to show, like, visual... Like when you have a meeting and you're like, here's my visual aid. But yeah, like when um, right before he shot the stock, his like assistant said, she's reaching for something. And what flashed on his screen was a baby rattle. So he was thinking of his newly conceived child back at home, which made him react more strongly than maybe he usually would. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And there was there was something that the friend of Alana, when she's greeting Lord Robot, what's his name? Prince Robot. <laughs> Prince Robot. And when she's greeting him and he's talking and then something flashes on his TV face mm-hmm. and she's like, wait, what just happened? So I couldn't tell if that was like something that almost never happens with this race of people, but he in particular is having a hard time controlling his emotions. Yeah, it I seemed think... like it was some. It seemed like it was. Like yeah. it was something that doesn't usually happen. They usually have control over it, but like right. his... Yeah experiences and emotions are so strong and difficult to control that uh Mm -hmm. yeah they're being exposed embarrassingly flashes on his screen but because he's prince robot you don't want to 
point it out too much. Yeah, you don't want to get personal with Prince Robot and be like, are you okay? What's wrong? <laughs> yeah, I think it's just like that manly thing. You don't end the being a royal. You don't want to show your uncontrollable flashes of emotion. Yeah, and it wasn't until you had that um, lowly... I mean, I say that it's Alana's friend. It's, they weren't friends. They were just right. like... They knew each other before soldier, she ran away. Yeah. Comrades, whatever, mm-hmm. but... She's maybe a little bit tactless, and she's the only one that says, wait, what's going on? Um, yes. She's enamored of the celebrity of Prince Robot. I liked his outfit. His little prince outfit? Yeah. Not his totally nude having Honestly, sex Honestly, when you <laughs> are introduced to him and they're totally nude, I was like, yeah, they're just nude all the time. And he, like, walks out in the next scene in, like, a really fancy deck. Di- I was like, oh, okay, no, that, that makes more sense. <laughs> He's a prince. That was really good, I think, strategic storytelling, though, because you got to... Once again, you revealed it without exposition. You were like, they're organic and machines. Yeah. Look, they're having sex trying to conceive a baby. It didn't have to say, well, the robots can have sex and they can conceive. Right. Like, we don't even know their history or how they came to be, which I assume they're some kind of artificial man-made. I don't know. It's a mystery. It's intriguing. It intrigues you. Yes. Makes you want to keep reading. Yes. I love the robot kingdom and I definitely wanted to learn more about the robot kingdom mm-hmm. Fascinating. and hopefully we will yes yeah, hopefully as we continue reading yes do they have flip phones in this story she had like a little like pod phone okay uh, i love stalk. i love the stalks phone <laughs> yes. it was so it was cute so... and good like i want a phone like that like that's yes. so cool yes a little pink little egg <laughs> It looked like a sex toy, honestly, but yeah, that same aesthetic. It was also like interesting world building. Like this is a high tech spacefaring race. It's also fantasy and like there's all this organic stuff, but you still have a device that's just a phone. And (laughs) it's like all these little bits of flavor are what's fascinating about sci-fi. Not the big exposition, the little bits of flavor that are sprinkled through. Her little, like, laser shotgun was pretty cool. Yes. I thought her gun... it just looked like a normal shotgun. Yes. Like, her sighted, her short-sighted weapon was so funny to me when when all her arms were revealed. Because it's just like, (laughs) she's not looking down the sights. She's waving them all (laughs) around wildly in her You know what? It's probably proven to be very effective. (laughs) I thought she was going to stick around for a long time because the cover of issue, like, two was Hazel... And it was, like, her scary, like, hairy spider fingers. And Hazel was, like, holding one, like babies do. Oh. I uh. thought she was going to stick around and, like, maybe not join forces with them, but, like, be forced to travel with them or something. Yeah. But she got a hole blasted in her chest. Well, good for you, Veronica. She's dead now. She's very scary. <laughs> but also, like, really well designed and drawn and, like, like entrancing to look at with horror and also beauty. The art is really good. Um, anything else about Prince Robot? Very good example of the racism in the these stories is when he yeah. shoots her and then claims that it was valid, mm-hmm. um, even though it wasn't. It was yeah. That was funny how he tried to like smooth over it by blaming it on her. Yeah. When he picked up the phone and talked to the will. Also, a very real parallelism yes. to uh, current events. Um, Only explaining it through his point of view. Yeah. Or yeah. even, oh, I shot this person who was not attacking me and wasn't doing anything, and there was no reason to kill this person. In fact, they were hired to be there. Yes. Um, and you knew about it. There was no reason to kill her, and it wasn't her fault. Like, And no one's going to care that I killed her. Right. So. Yeah, 
Yeah, it's pretty Robot Kingdom, I find also interesting because, like, the Landfallians are, like, their client race. Like, they outsource their army to help them. So they're not part of Alana's home government necessarily, but they're a coalition with them. Mm -hmm. Which is another just hint at the exposition and the politics. Yeah. Yeah. It took me a while to really understand the sides because there's so many... Like, Marco's race hires freelancers. The Landfallians use their coalition with another race to chase Alana and Marco down. Which... We still don't know why necessarily they're so hell-bent on destroying them. No. Well, I mean, it seemed like it was just because they don't want... Yeah, I see. It's the same as, you know, miscegenation laws in the South. Like, you don't want people having loving relationships that are productive, in air quotes. (laughs) Right. um, And show that, like, at the end of the day, there's not really much difference between them. And there's really no reason for them to be fighting. Right. Because if people start thinking that way and realizing that, then the jig is up. (laughs) I guess it's just the structure and the genre that makes me think there's going to be some kind of secret or twist that's revealed at some point. I would hope that there's not. (laughs) (laughs) That's just this. Yeah, I would really, really hope that it's not one of those, like, oh, secret baby with, like, super special power. Like, I would hope that it's not that. Right. Um, And it's really just, like, this is a threat to the status quo because it shows that the status quo is bullshit. Mm -hmm. And then it just builds an importance. Because that's so much more realistic. Yeah. And then it will just build an importance over time because they keep escaping. Yeah. Like, they're still surviving, so it's becoming a bigger and bigger deal. That would make sense. And there's there's not really anything in these issues that's, like, suggesting that it's some magic baby mm-hmm. which i mean the baby was just born so maybe there will be in the future but right she seems like a pretty point, normal baby yeah it's just the symbolism of like it's difficult to keep a war going with another race if people in that race start to realize there's not much difference between them mm-hmm. and nobody even really understands why they're fighting right <laughs> it's just a bunch of poor people dying yeah right. i like that also Tying back into how Alana and Marco are just normal, like, Mm -hmm. average people don't have the politics necessarily of their races. Like, the landmark miscegenation case of whatever their name's loving. Like, they were just regular people who met and they were like, this is my wife, this is my husband. We're just building our household and whatnot. It's not like we're political activists or the leaders of two different groups. Like, regular people are just regular people, and they'll want to carry on their lives. Yeah. I think one of them was a political activist. It's possible. But they might have both been political activists. But... Yeah. You'd probably have to be <laughs> at least moderately progressive to want to do that in the first place, but... Yeah. Yeah. It's not like they were super wealthy or anything. Yeah. Or, like, notable. Right. They're just living their lives. But, Melissa, how did you feel about Lion Cat? The cat who says... Lying. <laughs> yeah. When... The giant, like, <laughs> sphinx cat with no hair drawn flawlessly with a and terrifying bat face. Just annoyingly. Lying cat, best character. Best character. <laughs> yeah, annoyingly announces when someone is lying. <laughs> um, Very useful. Yeah. And also, he just, like, peeks around from things and says, lying. Lying. I mean, if that were, if I could choose an existence, it, it would be to live... <laughs> 
a giant cat that follows just not necessarily with the will because that almost seems like mostly pointless because he's just a hitman and right. I'm sure most people are lying so like that seems like it'll work but you just go and just live your life as a giant cat announcing mm-hmm. when people are lying yeah. your ability to <laughs> announce when people are lying is valued by your partner and you just you just get to live that life of doing what you do naturally and no one can like blame me for it like right. that's my job you're just like, a lying cat yeah I loved when uh, Vex, the unicorn lady, she was like, I'm sorry, did your animal just accuse me of being a liar? <laughs> she didn't accuse you. She stated. Yes. She's like, she's not an animal. She's a lying cat. So it's just true that you are lying. <laughs> yeah. But also, if you are the person with a lying cat, though very useful, it also apparently calls you out when you lie to yourself. Yes. <laughs> Which that is a problem. <laughs> that would be a problem for us. I mean, it would whoa, just, whoa, 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 whoa. It would just be a problem because of the noise complaints from your neighbors from the constant accusations of lying to yourself. <laughs> Constantly. No one would get any sleep. <laughs> I am fascinated by the lion cat favorite character. Yeah, I really enjoyed that. I was actually pretty pissed when the Will told his... His partner, yeah. who has been proven to be most useful, um, to just go wait in the car. And then she, he... It, by terrifying lady heads on scary lady ladies, Yeah, it gets like way. captured and, you, and he's just like, this is not my gay man. Yeah. I'm not part of this. this is I'm not supposed to be way, waiting in the car. This like, is not the way to treat your lying cat. It was very disrespectful it of was. the will. Yes, it definitely I was, was. very mad about that. Yes. <laughs> Stupid the will. Yeah. Everyone should afford Lion Cat the respect that he or she deserves. Yeah, and Lion Cat, Lion Cat would have really enjoyed Sextillion. Yeah. <laughs> also, why aren't animals allowed? There was a terrifying centaur woman. Yeah. Or not centaur, centipede woman. I think Lion Cat should be allowed. Yeah, why not a Lion Cat? Yeah, yeah anyway. Why not? Also, that guy whose na- head he crushed, he wasn't very humanoid looking. Oh, yeah. He had a big, so what like, the fuck? chunky square head. Yeah, he had, like, a whale... Did Will you there. notice the soft dicks out pyramid? Like oh, yeah. Pyramid. Yes. <laughs> Justice for Lion Cat. Justice <laughs> for Lion Cat. <laughs> All right. Do you want to talk about the child sex slave or do you want to okay. just leave it out? Yeah. <laughs> so here's the content warning. Um, this is where we're going to start talking about sexual violence in fantasy. Yay. Hooray. My favorite topic to talk about. Yay. Um, I love it when sexual violence is just thrown in as a plot device and Especially not extra. picked up again. <laughs> Especially extra sexual violence added on in the TV adaptation that wasn't necessary or even logical. Yeah, that's great. Um <laughs> So fantasy has this problem that I think is pretty well documented at this point of just using sexual violence as a either a way to increase the stakes or just where it doesn't even really make sense to throw it in. Like what you said about the rape camps, like it does kind of establish uh, that. So there's a scene where who is talking? Prince Robot, who is he talking to? He's talking to that, like, agent of the landfall. His name yeah. is, like, Gale or something. And they're talking, and I think it's the agent who says, well, the, um, they call them Moonies. Right. Have, uh, the rape camps where they, like, take our women. Right. And force them to carry these babies. Which only just, like, a rumor, too, because Prince Robot says, like, I didn't even know you guys could breed between the two races. And he was like, I've heard rumors 
but they all came from these rape camps and they died yeah very that, fast. the babies aren't viable yeah um i didn't take it to be a true thing that happened i took it to be a rumor that people have heard or... yeah but regard it my point doesn't rely on it being true right like regardless it wasn't necessary right um like it does illustrate this thing but you could have illustrated it in another way right like you could have illustrated in another way the brutality of both sides and you also could have like it wasn't necessary to show that people don't think that they could breed together because Mm -hmm. prince robot already said that right and it wasn't necessary to show that the winged people whoever the landfallians Landfallians. uh have these extremely negative views of of the um people with horns as barbarians (laughs) because that's already been well established so there was no reason to throw it in Uh, i don't think we've heard an actual acceptable term for people from reef yeah it's all just, they call them moonies, moonies but I don't right. think anybody gave them an actual Yeah, I don't think they ever, name. they actually never even called people from Landfall Landfallians. They called it like the Landfallian Coalition or the Landfallian Army or something. So I'm mm-hmm. just extrapolating. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but basically, there was no reason for it to be thrown in. Mm-hmm. And it was just kind of thrown in as this aside, which like, yes, sexual assault is often used as a weapon of violence during wars. That's something that happens quite a bit but again and this goes back to like a running theme in our podcast (laughs) if you're going to bring up something that happens in the real world that is traumatic that is horrible that warrants discussion you need to do it intentionally (laughs) you can't just pepper this shit in and just blow past it like it doesn't even matter because then you're saying that it doesn't matter Mm -hmm. (laughs) you're not making a statement about it you're just throwing it in and blowing past it. Right. And the same with, like, the child sexual assault. Like, Will was going... The Will. The Will. I'll give him his proper title. (laughs) Was going to this uh, planet, asteroid, whatever it was. The Sextillion. Yeah, that is full of sexual slaves. Like, all of these women that are there are being raped. So to draw this like arbitrary line where it's like, whoa, that's not the rape that I was planning on doing. Like, fuck you. Yeah, when he called the that guy with the big head, I don't remember his name. Um, I don't know if he's he like had a name. Oh, he's her pimp, and it's like he's they're like they're all. Yeah, they all had pimps. They all have pimps. <laughs> they all do. <laughs> so it was just that that bothers me. And further in the story, it is dealt with a little bit more in terms of the child um like spoiler alert they do go into like the trauma that she's experiencing and they do try to help her like cope with that mm-hmm. this is after the 60s yeah in yeah. the later Secret issues things that mate knows <sighs> yeah so and that's also why i'm not like criticizing it as harshly as i would in another story mm-hmm. because what we read was terrible <laughs> or what we were assigned to read was terrible but uh the what we read yeah what you guys <laughs> <Not> read you. <laughs> what you guys read was terrible but in the in future issues it does go more into specifically with that child dealing with the trauma that that child experienced mm-hmm. but again it's completely centered around that child there's no moment where he expands and is like wait but also i was gonna go rape a woman and just because she's an adult woman doesn't make that crime any 
better or more right. palatable. Yeah. That it, doesn't happen. Yeah. So she, if you were waiting for it, it's not coming. <laughs> <laughs> if an adult woman is sold into sex slavery, it's You know, like, that's just... That's just how... That's just what happens. <laughs> yes. While it can be extra tragic for it to happen to a child, it... Um, yeah, I feel like that was really the, how they pivoted the Will's, like, almost character around right. what like, we would presumptively have as his character he's pivot. like almost nothing until he gives a shit yeah for like a minute he's just like like a like a post-college directionless person <laughs> but his job is mercenary who does things very purposefully yeah um with no care about morals or whatever he's yeah. just taking care of himself and but, that's presumptively the moment where he starts to care about something yeah but then obviously he wasn't as like he made a lot of mistakes that made me feel like he wasn't as competent as I was led to believe yeah. that he just <laughs> yeah. left his unparked, unlocked car <laughs> or unlocked car with his lying cat, his best friend, the best person in the universe alone and <laughs> easily just like they took his credit card. They took his cat. They were like, yeah, you can't just take this child. Yes, they're. I guess that's why I kind of want to give him credit as a character. I enjoyed that he wasn't this all-powerful expert character. He's just like some punk wandering yeah, around doing a job. Yeah, <laughs> Like, he's got a job. That doesn't mean he's infallible. The infallible rogue mercenary. Yeah, I did like Although that. they do say a few times that he's their best yeah. one. But... That presumably then means that they're all just people yeah. <laughs> with very inflated titles. Yeah. It just... Of the... I am the Will. You are the yeah. stock. There he, were others that I've forgotten. He was extremely unprofessional. Yes. Going to a sex planet instead of doing your job yeah. and putting it on the you, company card. Also, you don't need to go to a sex planet. There's probably red light districts and brothels on all the planets. You don't need a whole planet of sex. Uh, Star Just Trek, to get over your ex-girlfriend. Star Trek begs to differ. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you definitely you cannot use a whole planet worth of sex as one person. It's more the than Will you can do. <laughs> we never saw him take off his pants. We don't know what's down there. He could, that may be how things worked between him and the stall. If Commander he may have eight penises. <laughs> if Commander Riker needs right, what Rios? <laughs> Is it called Ryan's? I don't remember. I don't know. Uh, a whole sex planet. A whole sex planet. So does the Will, <laughs> apparently. The Will is nowhere near as cool and competent as Commander Riker. Commander Riker is not cool. <laughs> He's but a stop it. But he hosted the fact or fiction, whatever it was called, show that I wish there were more episodes of. You cut that out. <laughs> Commander Riker is not cool. But look at his oh, little beard. I'm sorry. I was very close. The sex planet is Ryza oh, in Star Ryza. Trek. All right. Well, we should probably wrap up. Any final thoughts? I love this story despite the problematic aspects. I yes. love this story so much. Everything is problematic. By pointing it out, we're just trying to make better things in the future. Yes. Yeah. Disclaimer. Well, well, I don't know. But yeah. That's how we get such good things. Yeah. It's, things it's used to suck. TV and stuff used to be bad. It was boring and one-dimensional. Honestly, and problematic. Watching still kind of it still is, but it gets better as we expect more out of it. Yes, it only gets better through criticism. Yeah. Yes, but no, this story was honestly really, really amazing. I know. I got, really liked it. There's like a cliffhanger where Marco's parents show up, 
and Hazel says, and then my grandparents moved in with us. And I was like, I want to watch that. I want the sitcom. Mm -hmm. I want to see what the hell happens, even if it's terrible. Then keep reading. And I will. I didn't. It's fantastic. They are great. (laughs) They're absolutely great. I'm going to. Yeah. But I didn't do it before the podcast. That's the thing. Like, this story is really great, and it gets better as... Yeah. Things go on, yes, and the storylines develop. It's yeah. really fantastic. Everyone should read Saga. It's available on Comicsology. The first volume is four ninety nine right now. Yes. Also, uh, one thing that we didn't say, and if we're wrapping up, I just want to put it out there that Marco is adorable and really hot. He's okay. And cute. I have never been attracted to a man with ram horns before, but this is the first time yeah. for everything. Oh, we didn't. It's even, beautiful. We didn't even get into his rage issues with the ram and whatnot. Okay. Mm. Anyway, save that for personal discussion. Yeah. <laughs> just as a side note for all you listeners. Yes. Probably the reason he hates violence is because he goes into violent rages. Yes. And he has ram's horns and headbutts people. It's great. Yeah. Anyway. I wish you would headbutt me. <laughs> right yes. into the bed. <laughs> yeah. Okay. He was super cute and I did have a crush on him because he was nice and adorable. What was you guys' favorite panels? Not going to lie. I'm not sure if I have a favorite panel. I don't <laughs> I just love the whole thing. I didn't think which one was my favorite. There was so much really good art also. It's hard. How about you, Monte? Mine was issue two, page 19, the one that we talked about where it reveals that Stalk has all of her leg hands (laughs) and she's just waving around random weapons. There's a little revolver pistol with a sight. Yes. There's a shotgun laser. She's got a knife. She's got a thing that we later find out is like an extendable lance. She's got a little axe. Like she's just ready to go, but also not ready to go because she dies immediately. And she keeps them all under like a giant poofy ball gown skirt that's just like first i was intimidated and awed by her beauty and then they all just popped out and it was just silly yeah he's like spider indiana jones yes (laughs) (laughs) it's mostly like the thing that made that panel so great is because it had showed her in multiple panels before with like the dress down so like at first you're kind of expecting something terrible to happen but then she just kind of talks to them she's just kind of there and you're like okay she's a spirit but then it's like no she is a fucking spider monster with a terrible tongue that shoots out barbs and uh poison maybe probably possibly and she's just got a fuck ton of weapons under her skirt (laughs) it was yes because it's terrifying all the spider legs but then the weapons added on top just makes it all (laughs) silly (laughs) yeah that's what it makes it not too like we talked about last time in lock and key there were disturbing like but this wasn't really disturbing because all the random weapons just make it kind of fun and funny. Yes. She reminded me a lot of Sugar Man from the X-Men. Oh, it's a character him. who's awful and terrible, but also has a bunch of hands and just is holding random weapons. <laughs> and it makes him silly and adds that levity that I love in comic books. Oh, it reminded me of the Joker and how he'll have like a pop gun or whatever. Because mm-hmm. they were real weapons, but they were pointing in all directions and just seemed ineffective. <laughs> None of them pointing at the people. No, the one with the sight pointing behind her, I think, <laughs> where she cannot look through the sight. Um, my favorite panel, I think, was it was in the first issue when they're still in the place where they gave birth to Hazel and they're surrounded and they've just kind of accepted they're going to be killed together. And Marco, like, hugs her and the baby's between them and he says, My family. And they're just like, you can tell how much they love each other. And it was really cute. And it made me go, aw. Yeah. I've decided my favorite 
My favorite panel is when Isabel is going Gucci Gucci Goo to the baby <laughs> and and letting the parents have the discussion they need to have, which is why the hell haven't you told me about your fiance that you currently have? And she's babysitting. And I was like, Isabel, you go, girl. Yes. Thank you for giving parents the bit of respite that they yes. need. I don't know what the secret ingredient is, but Brian Vaughn has it in writing a teenager who is sassy and a brat, but does not annoy me even a little bit. Yeah, she's great. Yeah. She's very capable. She's got great style. She knows how to take mm-hmm. care of stuff and also very persuasive. And she's a go-getter. All the other ghosts are just like bored and usually go away. And she's <laughs> like, no, I have a plan and I'm going to stick to you until I complete my goals. She's a winner. She is. She would have been going places if she didn't step on a landmine, which landmines are evil. Yeah. Don't plant landmines anymore. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Who wins the Wolverine Award for this comic? I want to say Isabel because... If Wolverine could die, he would definitely come back as a ghost to criticize people. (laughs) (laughs) Wolverine, the eternal sassy teenager. Um, I vote for the stock because she has various killing implements and Mm -hmm. is uh, terrifying in a murder machine. Yeah. Although we don't really see her murder anyone. She tries to murder Mark. No, we don't. She doesn't kill anybody. She's just a step. Successfully. Yeah. Um, I vote for the Will because he, very similar to Wolverine, one of the ways that his morality is defined is him taking children under his wing. Ah. Yeah. Didn't they make a movie about that? Logan? Boo. Yeah. Yeah. It's I never watched it. Yeah. That's my least favorite thing about the character Wolverine, but it's also... There. Yeah. It's just there. We it have exists. to acknowledge it. It's true. Um, so congratulations to those characters. For winning the Wolverine Award. Yes. So Melissa has the comic for us next week. Oh, yes. Um, so this is the second and final time I will be suggesting a comic. <laughs> <laughs> I, like I said, I'm here to hang out with my friends and pick out wine and drink wine and maybe other alcohol, whatever, each week. But for our final episode of the season, yes. before the... Um, finale, yeah. Finale. The finale tournament. The finale tournament, which... This comic will be a part of, so (laughs) it's a lot of pressure. But I'm choosing another Archie comic to pair with my Archie versus Predator. The first episode of this season. I'm closing out the season with, drum roll please. It's not interesting. Okay, um, (laughs) Archie's Pal Jughead Comics, volume two, number 169. It is a comic... It is not a digest, so there's not several different stories. It's three main stories revolving around Jughead. It was written in the early 2000s. You guys are going to love Jughead and his shenanigans. Yes. Where love can those they... shenanigans. Those shenanigans are great. Where can they get this comic if they are reading along, Melissa? Um, I would Google that phrase, Archie's Pal Jughead Comics, volume two, number 169, and you'll get it on eBay or Amazon or various other websites that I may or may not recommend you giving them your credit card information. It's true. Yeah. (laughs) Be wary. Yes. Anyway, you can uh, visit our social media on Instagram and Twitter at BottleComic. And you can email us at thebottlecomic at gmail.com. Um, yeah, I have a podcast. It's called Half Past History. I talk about history in a short 20 to 30 minute episode 
that is easily digestible and hopefully accessible. All right, so next week we'll be reading Archie's Pal Jughead, and we look forward to it. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.